This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. There's a swing and a drive to center by Ramos. Back and it goes Ellsbury to the wall. It is gone. Wilson Ramos with a two-run home run. And with one swing of the bat, he's given the Rays the lead. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our latest show. This week, we'll look at the race top opener as Ryan Stanek will join us. Plus, hear from Arrestus Destrada of Fox Sports Sun. Todd Callis, now TV voice of the Astros, will reminisce with us. And we'll look at some terrific minor league players with Bowling Green manager Craig Albernaz. We continue on this week in race baseball. Our feature guest this week is Ryan Stanek. And why not open with Ryan Stanek since he's been opening? Ryan, I'm kind of curious. Tell me what you remember the first time you were asked to open a game and what you were thinking when you were asked to do it. When Cash kind of approached me and was like, hey, it wasn't it wasn't really like a question. It was like, hey, we're going to have you open this game. And I was like, oh, all right, that's that's cool. That's fine. I'm like, because in, in my time here, it's like I just want to go out there and pitch whenever they tell me to and be able to just do my job. And, yeah, it's been it's been pretty interesting so far. You've obviously, results-wise, fared pretty well with it. Have you enjoyed it? And how do you think it's helped you overall? Um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. It gets me back to kind of feeling like, I know it's not, not starting per se, but it, it kind of got me back into what I felt coming up through the system and in, in college and everything I'd, I'd always started. So getting back into that kind of mind state and it was just it's just kind of a level of of comfort like it wasn't it wasn't like i was out there thrown into a situation that i'd never been in before and was kind of just made to fend for myself it was in it was in a put in a role where i was uh pretty comfortable in so that was nice so it's not starting it's not relieving when when you're told hey you're beginning a game do you tell mom dad hey guess what i'm starting tomorrow i'm opening um what am i doing it kind of gets to be both like like at the beginning whenever it was like super new and like um people were kind of like saying whatever they will about the whole thing and um uh, it was like yeah I was like yeah I'm starting and then it got to be the point where like they they coined the the opener phrase so then I started using it kind of like ironically and then now that it's like become like a legitimate thing that's like shown it been pretty effective so like it's 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 kind of gained validity that it's like i guess opening is the (laughs) the unofficial official term for it now and i would think it it can be beneficial to a pitcher in that you know when you're going to pitch if you're relieving no i know you're pitching out of the bullpen occasionally too but when you're relieving you could pitch and get up 
four days in a row or get up and not pitch during those four days where here you know you're going into a day that you're going to pitch. And I would imagine that's to help somewhat mentally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know you're going to get consistent work, which consistent in-game work, which is which is definitely big. Um, yeah, going into it knowing gives you that little sense of like, all right, yeah, I got I got like it's my day like I'm I know for a fact I'm playing today and and part of part of what's fun about the bullpen is the the not knowing it's that instant burst of adrenaline when you hear your name but like also like you said not being able to or not being that guy that gets their name called for four or five days gets to be kind of tough because you have to get your work in and on the side to just to stay sharp so yeah definitely it definitely plays a factor into no like comfort and like knowing that you're going to get some work in and I've been used in both roles a lot like recently so it's it's uh it's definitely been good because uh, like there's also been times that I've supposed to have opened but I've come in to either finish a game or come in in the seventh or eighth inning and had to kind of bridge the gap to get to another guy and it's kind of it's, it's pushed me from that next open I guess and it is, it's still a lot up up in the air because like I am a reliever first and foremost that happens to open games. And when you open games, you're facing the best hitters too. And I would think that that level of competition has to help you too. I think it's it's certainly I think it's helped you late in games. I can remember just a recent outing you had where you came in to face Giancarlo Stanton with the game on the line and and you struck him out on four pitches. And I can't think that some of the other experiences of facing some of the best hitters in the lineup don't help you in terms of the way you attack them yeah I I would agree because you know when you're coming in you're going to face the team's top three four five hitters and you know there's not going to be an easy out in in that bunch so you have to be mentally sharp and like have a good outlook on what your plan is for that day and um and when you come in later in a game, it's the same situation. One run game, runners on. You just want to go out there and be sharp mentally, physically, and make the best pitches you can and give yourself the best chance to compete and get the job done. And I definitely think it, that definitely it, it, it did help like lock everything in. I would think that that was a pretty good moment. You know, we talked on the show last week with Matt Duffy, and I asked him one of the things we talked about was when he really felt he belonged in the big leagues because it can take a while and it's different for everybody else. I looked at you when you came off the mound striking out Stanton. I'm like, he, you know, maybe you felt you belong before, but that was kind of almost a moment. Did you feel the same way or am I over looking too much into something like that? No, it's, 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 it was definitely a big moment for me personally. I feel like because I had, I had a good taste of the big leagues last year and I went through that progression of when I first got here was like, I think I belong here and then have a little success sprinkled in there and you're like, all right, yeah, I can do this. And then towards the end of the year, you're like, all right, I, I belong here. And then when you start getting put into situations like that and you come out and and do do the job, it, it starts to make you feel like this is where you should be. And like, it, you're right. It does, it does, I guess, solidify it a little bit and make you feel like you belong. And it just kind of I feel more myself on the mound now like I, I feel comfortable in my skin on the mound doing um 
what I'm supposed to be doing. And Joe Madden always talked to us about the five stages of a big leaguer. And stage three was believe you belong, and five was all you want to do is win. And he said when you have enough guys on the roster who are all in those stages versus survival mode or happy to be here or focusing on the dollar amount, whatever it may be, that that's when you win. And you've got so many young guys, so I guess the quicker you guys can all get to that kind of believe you belong, all you want to do is win, the better chance you guys have of, of winning up here. For sure. We, we have a good good group of young guys that – We've all like as we've come up through the system and high A we won, double A we won and made the playoffs, triple A we won last year and was in the playoffs. And you get to that point where when you win with a group of guys, that's the part that I feel like can't be under or can't be valued enough is winning as a group coming up because you teach a group of people to win and that's all they want to do and I feel like that's kind of what we have here is we just want to win ball games however it takes and what to do whatever you need to do like Willie playing some second base like and he's not played a lot of second base but like whatever it takes to win games everybody's all for it and that's and that's a big thing especially for a young team you buy in and you compete and you go have a really good series against a really good ball club and and get three wins and it builds that confidence that that everybody wants to see and you're like all right we can compete with these guys and we can play with them and like why not why not win when we have a chance no doubt um you know one thing that's always belonged your hair so tell me when when it started and how long it took to grow out as it did and do you ever cut it like when it gets real hot i know you benefit from the dome here where that's not as much an issue yeah yeah the dome helps um i I really don't know when it started. I just I've, I've kind of always had a little bit longer hair, but um, a few years back, I guess until I guess it might have been 2016, the rules changed and the raised minor league rules. You couldn't have facial hair and you couldn't have hair past a certain length. There was no real set guidelines to where the hair was, but um, once they basically like changed the no facial hair, we could wear our pants down, whatever. Like, I was like, all right, well, I'll just kind of grow it out a little bit longer. And if they tell me to cut it, fine, no big deal. And then I think later that year I was when I had gotten, or, yeah, it was last year, I uh, had gotten called up. So, like, at that point they're, they, don't, they don't really care here as long as you do your stuff on the field. So um, it just kind of has, has continued to go. I guess it's probably been close to two years, but I do cut it every every few weeks kind of cut the sides and keep it try to not look at like not have it look ra- like ratty and super frizzy amount of product you need for it or or do you i don't i shampoo and condition like i try to i'll try to like wash it every other day like because i know i know shampoo if you if you shampoo it every day it, it like dries it out a lot so i'll shampoo it every day or shampoo it every other day and condition it every other day and try to keep it as healthy as possible i'm kind of curious because i I read your your bio in the media guide and it talked about how you've spent time in the off season working your grandparents farm does the hair get in the way on the on the farm there and and tell me you know what are eventually do you like when baseball's all done whenever it is however many years from now do you want your own farm Are are you one of those guys or it was just kind of a nice thing to do i don't know i really haven't put that much thought into it like i I, i've always loved going back to my grandparents place and 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 hunt and hang out on the farm and do things and kind of be away from everything because it's it like they're 
they're kind of so far away from like a like a normal like I guess you'd say a city that it's just really peaceful and it's nice to be away. So um, I, mean, I, could, I I wouldn't mind it, but I, I don't I don't think that I have any any concrete plans for that in the future. How uh, how much do you think the work on a farm though contributes to your strength? Your I mean, you're a hard throwing guy. Were you always a hard throwing guy? When did you start throwing hard and how much farm work did you do that, I don't know, sometimes chores, that kind of stuff can kind of build a, a different kind of strength? I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I've always I've always thrown fairly hard, but I, I kind of started, like, I guess the real, like it really picked up when I was a junior in high school. And um, I'd actually moved away from the farm, um, from that, I guess, the area. We lived, like, 20 minutes away from it um, growing up. But when we moved to Kansas City, we were a couple hours away, so um, didn't really get to go back a whole lot. But when I did, I would go help my grandpa feed, feed the cattle, and do whatever that he did just to spend time with him. So, um, yeah, I don't know if it contributed anything to it or not. It might have, it might not have, I don't know. But um, it was just something that I always enjoyed doing when I went back. You're named after Ryan Sandberg, same spelling. Have you met him yet? I know you played for his nephew, Jared. In Durham? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I think that'd be really cool, uh, but haven't haven't had that opportunity yet, unfortunately. You didn't get on Jared to get him on the phone or something like that, or meet you somewhere. Or? I don't know what's frowned upon in that <laughs> regard, so I, I even I, to tease him. Yeah, I, I just kind of tried to stay in my lane and didn't know if if that would be stepping on toes to see what he was up to. I also read that when you were at Arkansas, you actually ran into what Eli Manning. Uh, yeah. Uh, is it, would that count as the most famous person you've met, non-baseball or or let's say on the field? Would uh, if not, what does? I, yeah, we ran into Eli Manning at a huddle house eating breakfast when we were playing Ole Miss in college. But I would say probably the most famous dude that I've met that's not uh, not baseball related would probably be uh, John Cena. I actually met him at at a dinner um, this past off season and was the nicest guy ever like invited us over to have a glass of wine with him like me and it was me and a buddy and we were actually having dinner with with our agent and it was one of those things where he's like when you guys are done would you like to come over have a glass of wine with us talk and just chat and his buddy um that was there actually had played played baseball i think i don't I, i'm not exactly sure how i think he got to the big leagues i think he said but like they were just friends from from up in Massachusetts that were down having dinner and invited us over and hung out with them for a couple hours it was a pretty cool experience well hopefully many more cool experiences are ahead for you on and off the field we certainly appreciate some time today on this week in race baseball yeah thank you very much thanks for having me that is Ryan Stanick and we'll continue in just a moment you're listening to the race baseball network We continue on this week in race baseball, and joining us from Fox Sports Sun is Arrested Destrada. And oh, if you would have told me that the Rays would be right around the 500 mark with all the pitching injuries, starting pitcher injuries they've had, plus remember they lost Kevin Kiermaier for a couple of months, even Nathan Ovaldi, who's back in the rotation now, was injured. You've had Matt Duffy, etc., on the DL at some point in time. It's almost an accomplishment to this point with the schedule they've had. Massively, for all those reasons, and I'm going to add one more, Neil, and that's. 
the one and eight start. Uh, you know, it was demoralizing. It put a lot of people on call thinking that uh, maybe there really wasn't a team that could do much. But as you and I both know, uh, this really is a, a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, all the teams know that. And I think all the teams now respect the Rays. And they're seemingly building a credibility amongst themselves that you and I are both seeing, you know, in the dugout and their demeanor. A lot of it is the youth. A lot of it is just withstanding all these storms. And then when it comes down to it, as I always say, there's perception, but then there's production. Uh, you can perceive one thing, but you have to produce. And, and we have really a, a very talented combination of youth and mid-level veterans. By that, I mean guys that have four or five years in. And then, you know, a few guys that are truly veterans like the Gomez's and the Romo's of the world. And uh, it, it's meshing well. One last thing. I think the coaching staff has come together dramatically. Uh, I think uh, along with the growth of this team the last two or three years is the growth of manager Kevin Cash and, and the moves that he's making I think are a little more systematic, more you know on point. We saw it yesterday uh, with some of the decisions he made both uh, with pitching and with hitting. Uh, and then they're really working out and they're looking. He's believing himself and in, in feeling more comfortable as a major league manager. And in terms of this group, I mean, to go through this, today ends the gauntlet. The Rays will be done with 16 games against Houston and New York and Washington. And regardless of today's outcome, they've acquitted themselves really well. They really have. And it's been a daunting gauntlet because just the month of June, but the whole schedule, when you really go back to the fact that they started the way they started, uh, you know, having to go up east uh, in the cold weather. I know the other teams play in the cold weather too, but that's their kind of uh, climate for a good core of that, you know, those rosters have, have already been accl uh, acclimated to it. So same thing as, uh, you know, how we're acclimated to our own little tricky dome here. Um, they, they had an advantage there. And, and then also a disadvantage schedule-wise, you, you touched on that. I mean, you know, we went on a, on a West Coast swing, then came back for five quick days, games, and then back on a long West Coast swing. That, that's very difficult for any team, but especially a young team. A lot of guys that had never even experienced West Coast baseball and, and acclimating to that. So when you put all that together uh, as you started, where we're at, uh, regardless of today's outcome, I think is something to, uh, to take uh, forward with and uh, not at all give up on the second half of the season because you just don't know. Well, in part because after today, 29 of the remaining 79 games are against teams with winning records, which means 50 are against teams sub-500, and that's where the Rays have been very good this year. The Rays have been outstanding this year. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I know they're playing over a 700 clip in that realm uh, and a sub-500 clip on the other. So they've tried to keep their heads above water against the, the upper echelon teams uh, that have so much firepower and so much depth. Uh, and then beat up on, on, on the lesser teams. And nobody's really lesser in the major leagues. Anybody can take you and sweep you at any time. I think you've realized that, that maybe there's three or four teams that are just really hurting right now. But other than that, the Rays fall in that class that at any point in time, they could uh, stomp you and, and take care of business. They've had to do it in different ways, but certainly it helps to have kind of a head of your pitching staff. And Blake Snell, who goes today, really has been that. It really is. And and the more that you and I were talking about the development of this team, this homestand, maybe the last month or so, it really has turned into old school, what we considered old school Rays baseball. Really good defense, strong pitching uh, up and down, however you want to, you know, phrase this opener situation the bottom line I say up and down is because remember when the Rays were really strong yes it was it was uh, no doubt you had Shields and you had Price uh, you throw in Matt Moore and the Cobb so there was a three or four 
deep pack of uh, pitching and then great bullpen uh, in the yesteryears. We're getting that now across the board without it being really superstars other than what we're hopefully seeing here with the, 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 the emergence of Blake Snell. And then we're getting super defense and then quality hitting. Not big boppers. We really, you know, uh, not winning the, the winning games by three-run homers. We're winning games by smart baseball and really slashers, run-and-gun type baseball. Getting Chris Archer back, and he's not far. Tuesday as a rehab start certainly will help, especially with the injury to Wilmer Font. I mean, you'd like to at least have three guys you can count on starting to go along with the opener strategy. Well, when I, when I see Chris coming back, uh, not only fortified because he'll be 100% hopefully, uh, but fortified that he wants to add to this mix. In this little tenure that he's been gone, uh, we've take the you know we turned in the pitching, and and it's gone dramatic. And he's going to feel like, okay, I am one of these guys that that makes a difference. So I'm going to add to that. So that's only like you know inviting to think that that he could take the gauntlet now or take the the, the you know the his turn to to add to this. Maybe come out you know start easy, but build to be pitching six seven inning type uh, wins, if not more. Because I know you know you and I both know that if he controls that fastball, he's the type of guy that can throw. That elusive, complete game that that you know we we haven't had what in a couple of seasons. But uh, bottom line is Chris Archer can be devastating. You know I compare him a lot to Garrett Cole in the similar you know wipeout you know breaking pitch. But Cole has the control with the fastball. Hopefully uh, Arch will be right back, right back on there. And certainly a big reason for this push. You mentioned the youth. What's been most impressive about Jake Bowers and Willie Adams to you? Mostly, and I go by the two P's that I talk and preach a lot about, which is perception and production. The perception is they're, they're very, you know, effervescent, very exciting, very kind of endearing, and you want to watch them play both offensively and defensively. Their smiles, they just attract you. But it's the other P. It's production. These guys are talented. The bats that, that, that Jake Bowers is having already – has impressed me so much. He had a walk uh, a couple nights ago that that you know off of a tough pitcher in Cole that that was just very impressive how he was able to matriculate through that at bat and not jump out and 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 you know Willie's still learning a little bit of that but you were seeing signs and then defensively both these kids are exciting as hell you know with Adamas covering second and short seemingly uh, like a veteran and then I can't, having been a former first baseman, I'm very proud of uh, of what he of what our boy Jake Jakey baseball, as I call him, uh, reminiscent of the old days. Donnie baseball, Don Mattingly, same size, same kind of style at first. We've been blessed with Lee, uh, Kochman, Loney. Bowers could be better than all of them, and that's saying a lot at first base. Indeed, it is. Oh, thanks for a few minutes. Good luck with the broadcast today. Got it, man. Go Rays. And that is Arrestus Destrada of Fox Sports Sun. Let's pause right now for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. This is 620 WDAE St. Petersburg. It is gone! WPTP HD3 Clearwater and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball. and time to take a look at things on the minor league side. And there's already one Rays affiliate that is qualified for the postseason. And that's the Bowling Green Hot Rods, and their manager is Craig Albernaz. Albie, thanks very much for a few minutes, and congratulations on a great year so far. Thanks, Neil. I appreciate it. Look but, forward to talking to you. But before we touch on some individuals, what what made that first half so special? Because, I mean, you guys, uh, when you're winning 40-something games in a half of the season in the minor leagues, that's pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just the way these guys went about the business every day. I mean, I know we kind of get – Someone day and playing games every day, and you know I sh- we kept on stressing, take care of little things, 
and the big things will take care of themselves. Um, and now we, we have some talented players on this team, um, and they brought it every day. Every day they came to work trying to get better. Uh, you know, the ultimate goal was for these guys to get to the big leagues. So we kept our approach to have these guys get better, and they, and they took care of business. Uh, they love playing the game. They love showing up to the field every day. So it makes our job as a staff easier. And they love competing. You know, we had a little six-game losing streak uh, beginning of the year, like real early, and we had to overcome that. And these guys, they, they just grinded and battled, and it was fun to watch them play. Most of the core position players are still with you, so I want to touch on those first, beginning with Ronaldo Hernandez, who won the Midwest League uh, All-Star Games Home Run Derby and has in double digits and home runs, hitting better than 300. How special can this kid be? Oh, he could be. He has all the potential to be an impact player. You know, at a premium position, at catcher, and with the numbers he's putting up offensively. I mean, at the break, he was uh, 10 and 51 at the break. Uh, that's really impressive. You know, to start the year, he was splitting time with Zach Law, and then Chris Betts came up splitting time, and then once Hudson Valley stopped, Chris Betts went down to Hudson Valley to play more. So it kind of gave Ronaldo a chance to take the reins and be the everyday guy behind the plate. And he's taken it and run with it. I mean, offensively, he impacts the ball. That's an understatement. Um, but offensively, he's getting uh, – defensively, he's getting better. Uh, his receiving is coming along. He's blocking real well. And he's really throwing well right now. And then all the little things behind the play where it's taking charge of the staff, leading on the field, all those little things he's really taking control of. And it's, it's, been, it's been fun to watch. You know, it's always nice to see middle-of-the-diamond-type players evolve, and obviously he's one of them, but you've got some other kids too. Vidal Brujan is, I know, someone you had at Hudson Valley. He's really putting up tremendous numbers. He's a very young player in the leadoff spot. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, 19 years old, and the leader, he's been hitting leadoff uh, for us every single game. Uh, and he's a dynamic, he's a game-changer-type player. When he gets on base, and he can steal second and third. I wouldn't say easy, but it's, it's definitely a threat. Um, and he's learning. Uh, it's, you know, with the long season, uh, like I told him, you're not hiding anymore. You know, you have almost 30 stolen bases. Everyone knows you can run. But once you get on base, they're going to pay attention to you. And he's doing, he's picking his spots when to run on um, that maturation process. And offensively, he gives you a great at bat every single time, competitive from both sides of the plate. Um, he has a little bit of juice in his bat. He can turn on one uh, from both sides of the plate, but he also has a weapon of bunting. So, I mean, he gets on base and. I mean, right now, I believe he has like 65 runs scored. So when he gets on base, he's crossing home plate. And defensively, pretty good at second base, correct? Oh, yeah, he's moving around. Um, you know, and we're, we're shifting down here, too, to kind of get these guys ready for the big leagues. Uh, we don't do it a lot, but we pick and choose the spots. And, and for him to move around, he's showing some good arm strength, some great range. Yeah, he makes some really good plays out there. You've got a couple of college kids who are in their first full year of pro ball who have impressed as well. Uh, Taylor Walls, a kid out of Florida State, um, has put up phenomenal numbers for you. Maybe your best numbers offensively. Yeah, uh, just like Brew. I mean, he's been hitting second for us behind Brew. Um, again, he's a switch hitter. He gives great at bats um, consistently. I mean, and his speed off bat numbers are, you know, uh, second of our team. So it's good to see him impacting the ball. Um, he'll work a walk. And he can run, too, when he gets on base. I believe he has 15 stolen bases right now. And he knows how to play the game. And defensively, he's playing a really, really good shortstop. It's, it's impressive. Any ball that's hit to him, he makes the play. And he can make the, you know, the, the dynamic play also. Um, so it was good to see him kind of come to, come to his own. After Hudson Valley, he, he was kind of tired uh, from a long season of, 
you know, of college and, and whatnot, but it's good to see him come to his own. Craig Albert as our guest again with the uh, Bowling Green Hot Rods. He's their manager. Another college kid you have who's moved around a little bit but also putting up really good numbers is Zach Rutherford. What's impressed you about Zach? This is versatility. You know, coming out of uh, Old Dominion, he was a shortstop. He was in Princeton, so I, I didn't really have a chance to see him. I just saw him in instructional league and then in spring training, but he started moving him around, and he's taken to it. I mean, it adds to his value. He plays a really good third and play a really good short and second. Offensively, uh, he's a you know he's a tall, wiry kid, but he can still impact the ball. Um, just like you know Walsey and Bruhan, he gives you a great at bat and he can barrel it up. And he goes about his business every day. You know he comes to the field. Um, he has a chance to play in multiple positions, and he's he's ready to go. The outfielder who's probably made the most impact so far is a uh, player from Latin America, Moises Gomez. Uh, I know when we talked last, you said he's got kind of that that physique of a Bo Jackson type. Uh, how has he grown as the season has gone on? Oh, he's just Again, uh, he's only 19 years old, so usually with these young Latin players, you know, it's it's tough to acclimate to, you know, the playing every day and, you know, coming over for, you know, stateside. But, again, this kid is given great at-bats. He's been hitting the middle of the lineup for us. So he's seen a lot of off-speed pitches. And he's starting to recognize, he's starting to feel what these pitches are trying to do to him. Um, again, that maturation process of a long season, it's good to see him, you know, uh, adapt to that. You know, it's just like I, uh, same thing as Bruhan. You know, when you hit in the middle of the order and you impact the ball, you're not hiding anymore. So these pitchers have game plans, and he knows that. And it's good to see him go out there and still drive the ball. Uh, yesterday, and he had a triple down the down the right field line. He also had a double in the right center field gap. So he has power the other way, and he has some pull, some impressive pull side pop. And defensively, he's really coming to his own in left field. He's making some really good catches out there, uh, tracking the ball, good range, and you know, he's yesterday. You know, we're winning 11 nothing, and a ball down the left field line, and he busted his butt to get to the ball, and he ended up throwing the guy out at second base, trying to, trying to get it to a double. You know, so the big game like that, to see him play the game, play the game hard, it's always good to see. No doubt. And, and with some of the promotions you've had and, and some of the changes, you do get to see some other kids who maybe didn't have the opportunity. Jim Haley stands out as a guy who's kind of taken advantage of his chances. Yeah, Jim Haley, you know, we drafted out of Penn State a few years ago. Uh, you know, he started on our team off the roster um, just because of all the, the depth we had in infield above us, uh, two levels above us. Um, and then now with the movement, you know, he has an opportunity to play more. You know, at the corners, and he's taken, and he's he's taken to it. He's hitting three hundred, uh, three eighteen, I believe, right now. Um, gives a good at bat, and he's a good older presence that's kind of been around for uh, you know for a year or two for these younger guys in the first long, uh, long season. So that good veter- veteran presence is good, and he's giving some great at bats. Um, he's delivering some big hits for us. Two pitchers I want to touch on. You had some promoted. Um, Tobias Myers has been with you all year. Well thought of prospect. I know it's been kind of a learning, growing year for a very young player. What have you liked about him? Uh, his last outing. Um, his last outing was great. I mean, it was right where he was last year. And what I like about him is that for a young kid, he understands the process and the work. He doesn't get hung up on a bad outing or a bad pitch or a bad inning. He's a competitor. And he understands what the long-term goal is. And he doesn't never get frustrated. You know, he doesn't ha- hasn't had the success that he's wanted to and expected himself, but he's still down, still working. And, you know, him and Brian Reese, our pitching coach, have been getting after it every bullpen session. And last outing it showed. So I hope he can build off that. I mean, his fastball was good carry through the zone, mid-90s. Uh, he can spin it well. And his changeup is coming along. It's getting some good sell, real competitive. So, you know, hopefully moving forward with this long season, he can build off this. 
one of the pitchers who's gotten a chance to shine with uh, injuries and promotions is a kid named Josh Fleming. What has been impressive about Josh? I know his numbers have been great. Oh, uh, yeah, this is the first time I've seen a look at Fleming. Um, he was on a uh, kind of like a modified throwing program when he was in spring training, knowing that he wasn't going to make a long season team. You know, but when K went up, spot was opened up, and he was throwing well and extended. So he came up, and he just, you know, he took the opportunity and ran with it. You know, this game's all about opportunities and taking advantage of it, and he's doing it. Um, he's lefty, I mean, he can top out 93, pitches around 91, 92, and he's a guy that can spin it and has a good changeup. Uh, he can pitch backwards when he wants to, and he pounds his own. You know, these guys, uh, the hitters can't really get a comfortable bat off him because they don't know what pitch is going to be thrown. It's tough to cover that, and he just throws strikes. You know, even in high-leverage situations and, you know, kind of stuff sitting the fan, stays composed on the mound, he still makes his pitches. I'll be great stuff as usual. Congratulations on making the playoffs, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Absolutely, Neil. Always great talking to you, man. Thank you. And that's Craig Albernaz, a Rays minor league manager in Bowling Green. More coming up after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Time now for our latest feature on 20-year employees in this 20th anniversary season. This is R.J. Harrison, senior advisor, scouting, baseball operations. I signed on with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays on September 1st, 1995. Well, I came down here in August of 95 and interviewed with Dan Jennings, the scouting director at the time and Chuck Lamar and there wasn't I mean it was a real skeleton staff and so DJ offered me the job I got home talked to my wife quickly accepted the position and then came back that was uh, I officially came on board September 1st of 95 and then we came down and we had some meetings they were well I guess you would call me it was kind of like hanging out it was uh, Dan Jennings had an uh, apartment out on St. Pete Beach and the staff at that time was Tom Foley was, had just been named the farm director. DJ was the scouting director. Chuck Lamar. Scott Profrock, who had come over with Chuck from the Braves. Bart Braun. And Mike Hill. Stan Meek was the national cross-checker. Stan, who was a longtime scouting director with the Marlins. And Mike Hill, who's the president of the Marlins now, had just been hired. It was his first job off the field. He had been hired as the assistant and farm director and scouting director so we just kind of hung out for about three days and sat around and tossed around ideas and we'd all come from different organizations and and it was just kind of a gathering and a kumbaya type thing and we still talk about it now because Tom Foley's still here and we talk about those early early years and that skeleton staff. What's your greatest accomplishment in your mind in working for this organization? I don't know I mean I, I, I take a lot of pride in being a part of the 23 drafts that we've had. We've had a lot of successes, and of course we've had some stinkers, but uh, I, I think being a part of the drafts that put together the core of what ended up being those four out of six seasons going to the playoffs. When we were playing in the World Series and you look up and you see Carl Crawford, B.J. Upton, Jamie Shields, Rocco Baldelli, Evan Longoria, all guys that we drafted and signed and developed in our organization it gives you an awful lot of pride so I would say probably been here all these years but being a part of that group that and and being there to watch those young guys mature and then take us to the World Series. Of all the memories on the field what's your best memory and where were you when it happened? Well winning the American League Championship and my wife and I and Mitch Lukovics and his late wife Karen were sitting in the first row right behind our dugout and I remember Johnny Gomes looking up at me 
when David was going out to pitch the ninth inning and saying, can he handle it? And we said, absolutely, and he sure did. Two plus decades with the Rays. Now, while the Rays are building toward that on the field again, they're doing great things off it. Coaches Rocco Baldelli and Charlie Montoyo helped create new public service announcements encouraging fans to vote not for All-Stars but in their local elections, and I asked Rocco about that. Sometimes as coaches or players you get asked to speak or help with, with different things um, associated with the team, and being able to be there to just raise awareness on registering to vote, going out and voting, um, when it was brought to our attention, and normally I don't speak for people, but I'll speak for Charlie in this instance. When this was brought to us, I think both of us were very excited to have an opportunity to, to take part in this. It, it means a lot to both of us. We think it's an important topic um, for the citizens of St. Pete, Tampa, and all of Florida to get out there and, uh, and vote when, the, when their opportunity and the time comes. And I think it's important to note you guys are not doing with any particular political affiliation. You're, you're not pushing anyone toward any side of anything other than being active. Yeah, that's, I think the point right here is just to raise, like I said, the, the awareness to, to anyone that sees um, the little ads that we filmed and just understand that I, I, we and the Rays support people going out there and, and, and engaging in the political process and, and voting. And because it's something we believe in, we had a smile on our face and we're, we're really happy to take part. And I guess hopefully the, the thought is that people who haven't registered will register, that people who, let's say, maybe are registered but haven't been active will start to think about that a little bit more. I think it. I think all, all of the above apply. And, and even if people who are thinking about registering, just bringing it to people's attention and, and putting it on their minds makes it worthwhile. Uh, you know, hopefully one person at least you know, here's the message and was thinking about doing it and actually decides to go through the process and, and register or re-register and, and get out there, take the opportunity to vote. And that is Rocco Baldelli. Now, Ray's wives yesterday spent part of the day helping CASA in St. Petersburg. Matt Duffy's girlfriend, Rachel Crow, explained to me what that event was about. We went out to Central Cycle in downtown St. Pete and we held a cycle class hosted by one of the instructors there. There were 33 total of us. Every single bike was filled. It was so much fun. It was like black lights, great music. They played some of the guys' walk-up songs, which was really cool for all of us to get into. Um, DJ Kitty made a guest appearance and just it was just a blast. I mean, there were smiles on everyone's faces all the way around. More so you guys obviously benefited a terrific cause in, in CASA. Yeah, we, um, as you know, we're cycling for CASA St. Pete, which for those that don't know, is an organization here in Pinellas County that um, serves to help uh, victims of domestic violence here in the community. And we raised over $2,200 in donations and raffles and silent auctions, and it was just unbelievable to see this community rally together, you know, for something that we all really believe in. And I'm sure it was rewarding for the wives and girlfriends to have an event like this. You guys do events like this throughout the year. This one was particularly a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, this was the first time I think that we've had all like this big of a group of girls together at one time. And it was really great for us to kind of connect outside of the ballpark. Usually we spend most of our time together watching the games. So it was really nice to go out and kind of be away from baseball and connect over something that we all really enjoy because we're all very active uh, physically and we try to be active in the community. So it was kind of best of both worlds. And obviously you guys, uh, fans were able to interact with you guys too? Yes, we had, like I said, 33 bikes have filled. I think there were 12 of us girls. So, I mean, do the math, the rest were filled 
by, you know, members of the community. And we got to meet some amazing people and hear, you know, why they rallied behind it. You know, some people didn't even know what CASA was at first, but left with the knowledge to, you know, go out and volunteer in the community. And that is Matt Duffy's girlfriend, Rachel Crow, on yesterday's charity event. Back on the field, this weekend includes a return to Tropicana Field of now Astros TV voice Todd Callis, who had been with the race for the first 18 seasons. Now, after one year away, he already has a World Series ring. We discussed his greatest moments here and winning that ring. It was really unbelievable, Neil. Great to see you again and, and chat with you. But, yeah, it was uh, timing's everything, and it was a remarkable confluence of events. You need a lot of things to go right to win a World Series championship. Uh, it's a very talented team, but you never know what happens once you get to the postseason. It's kind of a roll of the dice. So, yeah, I, I couldn't have asked for anything more than uh, what happened in 2017 in my first year with Houston. Certainly wonderful. I mean, personally, professionally, I know you got married too, so obviously everything came together. And you look at this year, boy, you guys are, are rolling again. And, I mean, you could argue that in many ways this team is as good or even better than last year's group, at least in the regular season. Yeah, I would say they're better. I, I don't think there's any question that this is a better team than last year for the – a uh, specific reason that their their starting rotation is better. I mean, you added Justin Verlander last year for the month of September in the postseason. Now you have him for 162 games. Garrett Cole's been outstanding. He is a, a beast out there, and he and Verlander kind of have led the way in this rotation. And, and then you also have uh, Evan Gaddis producing at the DH. Carlos Beltran was a huge part of this team last year, but almost as much as what he did inside the clubhouse, production numbers weren't where they were. Uh, for Beltron in his final year. So Gaddis in that DH role has really uh, improved things. So, yeah, I would say the 2018 version is better. And the younger players have uh, continued to improve, too. I mean, boy, Jose, can Jose Altuve do any more? I mean, MVP season, and he's doing everything and everything more this year, too. Well, that's what you sometimes forget is how young some of these stars are. I mean, you saw Lance McCullers Jr. in the first game of the series. He's still just 24 years old. I think he was a little overamped the first couple of times he pitched against uh, the race here in Tampa Bay, but I think you saw him in that game Thursday really kind of locking in. Carlos Correa is still just 23 years old. Not going to see him in this series because of the injury, but uh, they're still very young and very talented, and some of those guys continue to get better. Wish you, obviously, a lot of luck going forward, but obviously part of the reason I wanted to talk with you is this is the 20th anniversary season of the Rays, and you were here for nearly all of it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious as, you know, does it feel to you like it was 20 years since that first game? In a way, it does. I mean, 1998 seems like a long time ago in some ways, especially when you consider, you know, the, it, it took a while to get baseball here and to finally see it come to fruition in 98. Um, in some ways, it seems like a while ago. But at the, at the same time, you see a lot of these faces. Uh, still, I see Davey Martinez at spring training, especially because the Astros and Nationals share a spring training site. Uh, I run across other guys that were on that 98 team all the time. Uh, and then Jeff Blum, my broadcast partner, was here in 04. So, uh, yeah, years ending in eight this year, and then obviously 08 when they got to the uh, World Series and 98 when they had their first season. That's pretty special stuff. We'll touch on 08 again because they're going to uh, commemorate that um, in August, in early August. Do you, what do you remember about the first game? And was there anything unique about you know being involved with that season or any moments in that season that stuck out to you? Uh, what I remember is just documenting everything. So first this, first that, time of everything. That's something that I kept down in my notebook. I'm not sure if I still have it. I'm sure it's in a box somewhere in my home here that I still have kept in Tampa. But uh, just remember all the hoopla. And the game itself was important, but it, it seemed like uh, it was the journey that to get to finally having baseball in the Tampa Bay region here in St. Petersburg. Finally seeing that come to life and that first pitch by Wilson Alvarez, you know, throw out the first ball, send that to Cooperstown. It was just a very special night. It was I was very fortunate to be a part of that. You know, the 19 years here were incredible. 
And I don't know if, you know, the further you get away from it, the more the players remember it in a certain way fondly. Most of them talked about how loud it was in the building. Do you recall what it was like and how maybe that compared to other moments you've had here? It was loud, but I didn't have anything to compare it to. I was actually here the year or two before when they had the, the Final Four here. Actually, it was that, that same year, I think, it was in 98 uh, when Michigan State won it all. So uh, it was pretty loud for that Final Four, too. So I, I guess uh, it wasn't so much the loudness, and I think the, the din in the building was extreme in 2008. I don't re- remember it being like that in 99. It was just a celebratory feeling, like this finally came to Tampa Bay. And after years of disappointment with the White Sox and the Mariners and the Giants all getting new stadiums because – this building was sitting here as the Florida Suncoast Dome unoccupied. Uh, those other cities were able to kind of leverage that. So to finally see it happen here uh, was remarkable. Here in this 20th anniversary year, one of the neat things I like is that they've kind of brought all of it together. The 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 green, the purple, the, the rays, they've kind of brought it into one logo with the 20th anniversary logo, the look. and those. But people forget those early years were very, very challenging. I mean, I would imagine from a broadcast standpoint, one of the hardest things had to be knowing that it was going to be tough to compete, and and the team didn't win more than 70 games until 08. Yeah, that's the craziest part of all, is to come out of nowhere to get an American League pennant. And, and literally, 70 wins was their high-water mark for 10 years as a Devil race team, and then they, they changed the name and everything turned around. But um, the first couple of years, there, there wasn't as much pressure to win games. I thought Chuck Lamar did a good job, uh, the original GM, building a bullpen uh, that first year in the expansion season. So when they did have leads, they generally kept them. But they didn't win a lot of games. But I don't think there was much expectation. But, yeah, for years 3 through 10, when you're never winning more than 70 games, there were some trying moments. We had a lot of fun on the broadcast, Dwayne Statch, Joe McGrane, and myself. Uh, A lot of times we'd focus on the game, but a lot of times we'd have uh, kind of diversionary measures because it wasn't always pretty what was going on in the field. I think certainly that's what fans will remember about you you in a a great way is how well you guys handled some challenges and then came the great years. And I mean, what sticks out to you most when you look back at 08? And does that seem 10 years ago now? That seems like it was more recent, but five years out of six winning 90 games, uh, four out of those six getting to the postseason. I would think, and I said at the time, and I will continue to state that, that for a smaller market team, that's a run that will possibly never be duplicated. I, I thought it was a, a perfect uh, combination of, of all the right moves made by Andrew Friedman and his staff, and then Joe Madden was the perfect guy to have in that clubhouse with a young team sprinkled in with some veterans. Eric Kinski, Cliff Floyd, Dan Wheeler all came over at the right time to kind of lead that group and, and show them how it was done. And I'll never forget that run. That was a great run. Um, and, and if it happens again, I'll be proven wrong, but for a small market team, that's as good as it gets. When did you think it was real in 08? When, what were the moments that stuck out to you? For me, it was after the Mariner series in August up at Safeco Field because they lost both Carl Crawford and Evan Longoria in the same series against the Mariners. And you thought, all right, this is when the shoe finally drops. It was a fun run. They made a great push to get to the postseason, but there's no way they get to the finish line uh, without those two guys. And then for Willie Ibar to step in and, and Eric Kinski and Gabe Gross and other guys to fill in uh, for Crawford in the outfield. Uh, all of a sudden, things kept gelling, and you're like, well, wait, this isn't going away. And now when you get further and further into September, uh, and then you have the incredible game with Dan Johnson showing up and hitting the home run against Jonathan Papelbon in Boston, and now all of a sudden it felt like a magical season. So I guess it was somewhere in between those injuries happening, happening and then watching the team continue to excel despite not having their two best players. Were were there particular players that you especially enjoyed covering over the 20 years? And if so, I mean, for either entertainment value or interview or just 
being able to confide uh, in the clubhouse, and, and who were some of your favorites? Uh, Carl Crawford's right at the top of the list. Combination of carrying a franchise when they were bad and seeing him transition into when the 08 team became uh, the American League champion. So, uh, and he was always one of the mo- my favorite interviews because he was completely honest. Sometimes he was funny and not even realizing it just based on some of the things he said. Evan was always a little more serious, but always there whenever I needed an interview. I tried to pick my spots with him because you could talk to Evan every day, but you try and let him have his space a little bit. And he was he was the most talented player over the, the most number of years here. For me, in terms of having fun, you, you have to start with Johnny Gomes. I mean, nobody loved coming to the boss to the stadiums more than Johnny Gomes and getting in that clubhouse. He was he was a big reason, I think, why. 08 happened as well. I, I mentioned Hins- Hinsky and Floyd and Wheeler before, but he kept things loose, and his, his presence was missed in 09, I think. And then just so many guys along the way, but those three are the top three that come to mind. And I, obviously, you know, David Price and James Shields and uh, Chris Archer and uh, Scott Casimir and all the pitchers along the way, that, that, that baton kept going from one to the next to the next, and I think it really started with Shields. And with this being your second season in, in Houston, do memories still flood back to you every time you come back here, or is it a little different now that you've gone through it once? No, it's still, I, I still have to catch myself and focus in on, on remembering, you know, not mixing up Astros and Rays, uh, because for so many years it was the home team, was always the team I worked for. So yeah, there are tons of memories when I come back here. I, I still see a lot of people, I know there have been a lot of new faces recently, uh, not so much on the player, on the roster side, uh, but in the coaching staff, I still know a bunch of people and, and all the people that work here at the TROP. Uh, it's my favorite place to come back since uh, I'm no longer here for 81 home games. Well, we certainly like having you back, even though if it's just a handful of games this year, and we wish you continued success with the Astros, and best of luck uh, to what obviously is going to be a playoff team once again. Yeah, I, I think this team will be one to reckon with in October. And Neil, thanks. Always great to talk to you. And that is one Todd Callis, now the voice on TV of the Houston Astros. Special thanks to him and all of our guests on today's show. Pitcher Ryan Stanek, Arrestes Destrada of Fox Sports Sun. Now the Bowling Green manager, Craig Albernaz, race coach Rocco Baldelli, Rachel Crow of Rays Wives, and also R.J. Harrison, now a special assistant. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, tweet me, at Neil Solons. Next week in the program, hear from Jake Bowers and much more. From my producer, Len Martez, I'm Neil Solons. Coming up, it's the pregame show. It's the Rays trying to win a series against the Astros. This is the Rays Baseball Network.